Hey, this evening, doing all right? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's open up the book of Exodus. We're going to continue um, through the Lord's description of the furniture within the tabernacle. Uh, next several verses. In fact, you're going to find that the wilderness tabernacle is covered rather extensively throughout the Old Testament. And I think there's an important reason behind it. Jesus, when he spoke to the Pharisees, he said to them, You know, you search the scriptures, for in them you find life. But it is these that speak of me. The psalmist wrote that. The scripture lays out for us all throughout, we're going to see Jesus Christ. What does that tell us? It tells us way back at the beginning, God was painting a picture In fact, if you look at the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle from the sky, it makes a cross. If you look at the tabernacle and the way that the children of Israel encamped around it, north, south, east, and west, and in the book of Numbers, it lays out specifically the numbers of each tribe and where they were camped. If you flow over it, it makes a cross. When when you see Balaam in the Old Testament trying to curse the children of Israel in their encampment. It helps you picture in your mind that as Balaam walks to the edge of this mountain and looks down over the children of Israel, what's he see? He sees a cross. And God won't let him curse. All he can do is bless. He opens his mouth and only blessing comes out. Why? Because, folks, all the way back, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, God already had instituted the concept that he would give his only begotten son as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. And in progressive revelation, he begins to reveal that to us and to the nation of Israel through his word. In the book of Hosea, in the book of Hosea, the Lord says specifically, I have spoken through the prophets and I have spoken to you using similitudes, symbols, pictures, patterns, paintings. He's saying throughout the prophets, you're going to see pictures of Jesus Christ. And last time, remember we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, uh, basically four by two by two box, made of acacia wood. Wood throughout the scripture speaks of humanity. Covered in gold. So we have humanity covered in divinity. A picture of Jesus Christ, who is fully man and fully God. Into that box is placed all the failures of man. The Ten Commandments. Man's been breaking the Ten Commandments for a rather long time, hasn't he? The bowl of manna. Manna itself is is almost a derogatory term. God always called manna bread from heaven. Didn't Jesus say, I am the true bread from heaven? They put that bull of manna, speaking of God's provision and Israel's disgust for how God provided for his people. They also put in there, what? Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod that budded. Why did they put that? Well, you see the children of Israel rising up in rebellion and God said, well, put all your rods in the tabernacle and the one that buds, that's the one whom I have chosen. So Aaron's dead walking stick Burst forth in almond blossoms. God saying, he's my choice. So the rod of Aaron speaks of Israel's rebellion. All the failures of God's people in one box. The box speaking of humanity and divinity together. And over to the top of that box would go the second piece of furniture in the tabernacle. The second piece of furniture would be the mercy seat. Romans 3.25 tells us that Jesus Christ has become our propitiation. Maybe you've heard that word before. Well, the word for propitiation and the word for mercy seat are the same. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat out of pure, beaten gold. Not molded gold. They take a chunk of gold and they hammered it and they beat it. And what does that speak of? It doesn't take us very long to go to Isaiah 53 and see that the Messiah would be the suffering servant, beaten at the hands of men, beaten into shape. And on that shape, they would put two cherubim, 
facing each other. The two cherubim looking toward each other with their faces down toward the failures of man in the box beneath. And right at that place between the cherubim, God says, that's where I'm going to meet you. And the whole time that they were in the wilderness, any time Moses needed to talk to God, he could find him between the cherubim. But to get there, he had to bring sacrifice. There had to be blood to cover the failures of men to show over and over and over again that it would cost something for man to have a right relationship with God. Innocence would die so that man could have a right relationship with God. And it is there that I will meet you at the mercy seat. We see in in Hebrews chapter 9 that everything within the tabernacle is a shadow of the reality in heaven. In other words, when you study the tabernacle, you're really studying how the throne room in heaven is laid out. All the implements that you see will be there. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, that's the throne of God. And as we go through each of the other implements, we'll see them. In the book of of Revelation, we see seven lampstands in the throne of God, don't we? Each one representing one of the churches, one of the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Argument could be made representing the church already in heaven, but we won't get that far. As we take a look at those, those menorahs, that menorah, that lamp is also in the tabernacle. The golden altar where the prayers of the saints are offered in the book of Revelation. There it is, the golden altar where the prayers of the saints are offered, a replica in the tabernacle for the children of Israel. The bread of His presence. Table of showbread. It's what showbread means. The the table of His presence. God's presence. Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. He said in John chapter 6, unless you eat of my body, drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And we see the table of showbread, the presence of Jesus Christ in the throne of God. Each piece of furniture corresponds to something in heaven. So if you want to know when you get to heaven that you'll know where you're going and what's going on around you, you might as well study the shadow, the picture in the tabernacle. And as we look, folks, there are 14 different materials used in the construction of the tabernacle. And every single one of them, from the thread to the gold and the silver and the bronze, speaks of Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross. Every single piece. It's amazing. It's amazing. So let's get started on it and we'll see how far the Lord will enable us to get tonight. Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 23. Now you shall also make a table of acacia wood and two cubits shall be its length. Okay, so now he's God when he describes to us the tabernacle, where does he start? He starts in a holy of holies. Now, if you and I were describing the tabernacle, we would probably start outside and work our way in. But God starts at the most important part, his presence, where we can have special communion with him. And he says, like the Ark of the Covenant, you shall also make... This table, again, of acacia wood, which speaks of humanity, covered in gold, which speaks of divinity. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ's uh, incarnation. He goes on and says, you will make it two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. In, in the measurements of it, he's laying out for us this concept of, of unity. How is he talking about unity? Because he's talking about one cubit. To two, the two shall become one. And we're going to see that as we build this 
idea in it overall. You will overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. So you have like, if you picture in your mind, like an end table. And around the end table, you have a crown, a molding that sticks up. And that goes around the outside edge. All overlaid in gold, made of acacia wood. Again, remember, acacia wood is most probably the wood of the cross. Acacia wood was, at one time, abundant everywhere. It was this tree that was everywhere in Jerusalem. Now it's protected because people started cutting down acacia trees during the, the Renaissance, during the Middle Ages, taking the slivers and selling them as pieces of the cross. So it didn't take very long for them to wipe out a lot of the acacia trees that were in the area. But we see made of acacia and surrounded with gold. And then look what he says, gold a molding all around, and you will take for it a frame, another crown of a hand's breadth all around, and you will make a gold molding for the frame all around. So when we look at it, you got a table with one crown around the outside, and then a hand's breadth, and another crown on the inside. Two crowns. When's Jesus going to be crowned with two crowns? What was the first one? Crown of thorns. What's the second one? The diadem, the crown of a king. When he returns in his kingdom, two crowns. And what do those crowns do? They hold the bread on the table. Six flat loaves. They would look like pita bread. Six on one side, six on the other side. Picturing for us the the one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The bread of His presence, God's provision, the bread of life, the sustenance of provision that we find in Christ Jesus. All of those things held there by the crowns, by the two crowns around the top of the table. Then He goes on and says, And you will make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners uh, that are at its four legs. So on each of the four corners... It's going to have these rings. Rings. Every time we see rings, a circle unbroken, it's talking about love. Every time we see rings gold, it's talking about God's love. Well, it's not any different in the symbolism that we have in our marriage, right? We use the most precious of metal. Why? So that our love would be the most precious thing that we possess. And each is a circle unbroken. Why? So that our love would be unbroken, just like God's, for us. So this table, the table of God's presence, is going to be held up on acacia poles by the priests through rings that symbolize the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that He might become for us bread from heaven. And through Him, we can experience God's presence. The table of showbread. The table of God's presence. So He lays it out. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and the table that the table may be carried with them. Everything in the tabernacle had to move. Right? Because every time the children of Israel went, the tabernacle had to go. They pulled down the tent. The tent of meeting. They pulled down the tabernacle. The priests would bear upon their shoulders each of the implements, each of the tools from the, from the brass altar all the way to the fence that was around it. Everything was designed movable. And it was designed to be portable so it could be put up and taken down. And for 40 years, everywhere they went, that tabernacle went with them, symbolizing God's presence in the midst of them. All of it portable. Do we ever want to go somewhere where we leave God behind? Don't we always want God's presence with us? At least that's always my prayer. If I ever get too far ahead of the Holy Spirit... Lord, have mercy. If I fall too far behind, Lord, have mercy. I don't want to be behind him or in front of him. I want to be with him. Where he goes. How did the children of Israel know where to go? 
Well, the Bible tells us, right? When they were in the wilderness, the pillar of fire or the cloud would move. And as it moved, what happened? Children of Israel moved with it. What did that? That was God's presence. Where was God's presence once they put up the tabernacle? Right there between the cherubim. So when they got up in the morning and that pillar of fire was no longer over the Holy of Holies, it was time to what? Move. Pick up and move. And reset up wherever the presence of God was. We want to be with Him, around Him. He is the main thing. There is nothing else that is the main thing. The, the job is not the main thing. Providing for our family is not the main thing. A, a woman's not the main thing. A man's not the main thing. The main thing is being in the presence of God. And that way has been paved by Jesus Christ. It is only able to experience God through Him. That's why I love the study of the tabernacle. I love the fact that the tabernacle only had one door. I love the fact that the, the door of the tabernacle was made by the same material that the door of the fence was made in. The door of the fence was made of the same material as the door that went into the tabernacle as the door that went into the Holy of Holies. The veil. And each of the doors all made by the same material. Do you know that the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus opened up the way to the holy of holies through the veil that is his flesh broken for us? What happened to the veil at the crucifixion? Tore from the top to the bottom. Why? Jesus opened the way. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. The only way in was through Christ. Everywhere in the tabernacle, we're going to see him, including this table that we've looked at, the table of his presence. So if you were standing at the door of the tabernacle, okay, if I'm standing at the entrance, we're looking at the, the whole tabernacle, uh, the first section, the, the Holy of Holies is 10 by 10, roughly, and then the holy place is double that length. Same width. And so we're standing in the door. We're looking down the corridor that leads to the Holy of Holies. On the right-hand side, table of showbread. Gold, two crowns, the bread of His presence, the, the presence of God, speaking of communion with Him. When we partake of communion, right? What do we have there on the table? His bread, His body, His blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what... That table spoke of. It's right to the right. Right to the right. Opposite it, on the left-hand side of the wall, comes the next piece of furniture that we're going to talk about. Let's look at it. Now, uh, verse 29, he says, It's dishes, it's pans and pitchers. Everything that's needed for it is made of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Always the bread would be there. Every day it would be... Uh, exchanged, and then the priests would eat the old bread that was taken off as they were a part of the service, serving God there in the holy place. Now, you shall also make a lampstand of what? Pure gold. Pure gold. Gold speaks of divinity. Pure gold. Fully God. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. God's going to be beaten. God's going to be hammered into shape. Not poured and molded, but beaten. Again, a hammered work, speaking of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ is going to make. Its shaft and its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and the flowers shall all be of one piece. Can you imagine that? Now, I'm not much of a craftsman. I mean, I can't hardly draw. Uh, I can break anything, but I can't really make much. So, giving me this task, handing me a big chunk of gold, and saying, now, hammer this into a seven-branched menorah. Three vines, or three branches on one side, a single vine in the middle, three branches on the other side. 
And in each one, I want a blossom, a flower blossom of an almond. Then I want a bud of that almond. And I want them equally spaced about throughout that menorah, opening finally in a, in a bowl that will hold the oil and the wick for the lamp. And I want you to hammer it all out of gold. Is that not incredible? As we go through the scripture, you know what we discover? God called a specific man. He equipped a specific man with the gifts to make all the stuff that he gave. Where God guides, he provides. How God leads, he's always going to bring the thing that you need. How many times have we experienced that in our life? You know, there have been times where, oh, you know, my, something's wrong with my car. It's broke. Uh, I can't really afford to fix it. And then I bump into somebody at church that just so happens to do that for a living. And they offer to come over and take a look at it. And next thing you know, my car's fixed. Didn't cost me a penny. God provides. God's able to provide those gifts throughout. And he does that with this. Now, listen, I want you to look at this. Verse 32 and the six branches shall come out of its side. What is six the number of? Man. Six is a number of man. Seven is a number of completion. How is man made complete? In Christ, we are just men made complete. In Christ, we make seven. How many in the menorah? Six branches. One vine. What did Jesus say? I am the vine. You are the branches. Isn't it incredible the, the picture that God paints in the tabernacle? Well, look at it. These six branches will come out of Jesus' side. Well, let's consider that for a moment. What came out of Adam's side, the first Adam? His rib came out of his side, and through that rib he made woman. And he brought the woman to the man, and the first bride came to her husband, right? God walked her down the aisle and gave her to the man. Well, if the first Adam gave birth to a bride, what about the second Adam? Isn't Jesus called the second Adam? Sure he is. Why? Because he's the second man born perfect, without a sin nature. The first Adam, without a sin nature, sinned. The second Adam didn't. The first Adam gave birth to his bride from his side. The second Adam did too. Remember on the cross? When they pierced his side, what came out? Blood and water. Blood and water. And we know that that's what happens when the pericardium around the heart ruptures. And you can say that Jesus died of a broken heart. But what else is it? Birthing fluid. What was birthed from Jesus' side? His bride. Who's his bride? The church. Right? The church. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ came through his side. So where was it that the, the, the three branches on each side would be going? Through on the side. Three on one side. Three on the other. Born of his side. Three. Each side. Coming forth from the second Adam, we see a picture of his bride. Think about it. It's in the scripture. It tells us, I want to say Amos says, how can two go unless they agree in a three strand cord? It's not easily broken. What's he laying out for us? What's a perfect marriage, a man and a woman and God together. So we see over and over again, these pictures painted here before us in the menorah. Now look what it says in verse 33. It says, Now three bulls shall be made like almond blossoms in one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and, and three bulls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. So each one's going to have three blossoms, three knobs that are going to build this concept as each one of the six branches is exactly the same height. What's different about them? 
one of them can be closer than the other to the vine. But they're all the same height. So many times we look at one another and we think, oh, well, look, I'm, I'm somehow closer in relationship to God this way than this person. But the reality is we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us will measure up to Him. But we do have a choice how close to Him we want to be. Right? Some are satisfied to be further away than others. Others desire to be closer. But we're all the same height. We're all the same height. It's in relation to our relationship with Him. How close are we willing to walk? How close are we willing to come? Now, it goes on and says on, in verse 34, On the lampstand itself, this is the central vine, the main stem, coming up the middle of the menorah. On it, there will be four bowls. What does that mean? Each of the other ones have three. This one has four. It means the center vine is taller than the six on the sides. The point that the scripture makes for us is that Christ is the measure, the rule, the mark that we seek to attain. Not our brothers next to us. We're even with them already. We fall short of Christ. We fall short of where he is in the main vine. Four bowls. It shall be made like almond blossoms, each with ornamental knobs and flowers. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs, the branches, shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. Are you one with Christ? Jesus said... A servant is not greater than his master, right? In essence, didn't he say, you've seen how they treated me. They will treat you that way also. He promised us, in this life, you shall have tribulation. Jesus was hammered, and we will be too. That's the picture that he's painting That's what he's designing. That's what he's saying. Look, we're all one. We're all together. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are one in him. And if Jesus Christ suffered persecution, who are we to think we shouldn't? If Jesus Christ went through the things that he went through, and we say, we sing songs about make me like you, Lord, how do we think that happens? What happens under the hammer? Being hammered, one piece, one piece of gold, one hammered work, one in Christ Jesus. Now you will make the seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange the lamps so that they give light to the front of it. Literally in the Hebrew it is, so that it will shine light on the main shaft. The six branches shine toward the main shaft. That we are reflecting our light. That we are showing that light. That we are shining that light on Jesus Christ. On Him. That that perfect work is being accomplished. That perfect work is taking place. Hey, we want to see Jesus Christ reflected. When we shine, what are we shining with? What is the light that is burning within us? What is the light in that song that we used to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. What was that light? It's not my light. It's the light of Jesus Christ. We are reflecting His light, like the moon reflecting the glory of the sun, right? We're reflecting Jesus' light, that 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 main shaft, that the vine is seen. 
When people see you and me, we're doing a poor job of reflecting Jesus Christ. If people want to glorify you or I, we're doing a poor job of reflecting Jesus Christ. They should see our good works and glorify who? The Father. They should glorify God. Jesus desires that we have good works. That good works follow our life. He desires that those things flow through us, but that the light, the glory, is to the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven, from our Father. He's the one who enabled us to do it in the first place. We want to glorify God with it. We want to glorify God through it. We want to glorify Him in and by all that we accomplish and all that we do. We want to shine that light. Well, hold your finger here. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter comes before 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. First Peter chapter 3. This is what he says. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their hearts, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When I went to Bible college, that's the verse that was out in front. Hey, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. But they hadn't attached to it verse 14. So when we went to Bible college, our focus was to gain knowledge so that we would be able to do academic battle with someone of equal or lesser uh, ability and defend our faith before them. So we'd study all these things. But what's Peter really talking about? He's talking about suffering. He's talking about when you're hammered. When you're going through that time of hammering, what? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer to those who ask you, a reason for the hope that is in you. You ever watch somebody go through something real hard and wonder how they are making it through? World wonders too. And that's how the light of Jesus Christ shines through that work. Well, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those three fellows, right? Three Hebrew youths stood up to the most powerful king in the, in the nation, in the world at the time, in Babylon, wouldn't bow down to his image. So what did they do to him? Threw him in the fire, right? They threw him into the fire. What happened to the two guys that threw him in? They died. It was too hot. The fire was so hot that the two, two of Nebuchadnezzar's best guards died throwing him in. So when they were thrown in the fire, who did they find there in the midst? Jesus, right? How come they didn't come out? There with Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in the middle of the fire. Nobody's going to tell them what they can do now, right? I mean, they're not burning. They're just trucking around in the fire. The two guys who threw them in is dead. What's going to happen if they want to walk out? Who's going to stop them? Nobody, but they don't come out. They stayed in the fire because Jesus is in the fire. It's one hammered work. God doesn't call us to something that he wasn't willing to do before us. And when we find him in the midst of the fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we can be comfortable there. We can be comfortable in that place we can be comfortable standing there before him knowing that hey i'm going through it but i'm going through what jesus went through 
and God's being glorified and all these things are going to work out for my good and his glory. Isn't that true? And we know all things work together, right? Not we think, we hope, maybe it will, maybe it won't. We know all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So as God works that work in us, we can experience that. And like that light, that menorah, the thing on the left-hand side in the holy place, the table of showbread, the menorah. Do you know that there is only, well, there's no source of light in the tabernacle except the menorah. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. If any of you walks in darkness, come to me. Right? And I will give you the light. But what did the Bible say in John 1? Men loved what? Men loved the darkness more than they loved the light. It's one of the few times that the word love used in the scripture is the word agape. About how men love the darkness. Men agape the darkness. They can't seem to find the ability to agape one another. They can't seem to find the ability to, to agape husbands and wives or even to agape God. But somehow they find it within themselves to agape the darkness. Why? One of the best definitions of agape is self-sacrificing love. When you're sacrificing yourself to the darkness, it's like sacrificing yourself to yourself, right? It's all about you. It's all about the individual. It's not about being others-focused or others-centered. And so that's what we see here. Now look at this, verse 38. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils roughly 132 pounds of gold is what's going to make up the menorah the light that's going to be there within the tabernacle and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain god laying out his perfect plan on how it's all to be put together so let's consider what we got so far We've been to the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, two pieces of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. We're in the holy place right now, and we talked about the table of showbread, the presence of God, and the menorah, the light of the world. We have that light on the left, the presence of God on the right, but in front of us we we got some things that we're going to be taking care of in the next couple of chapters. We're going to take care of some of the fabric some of the covering, some of the things that are going over before we take a look at that golden altar that sits right in front of the, of the veil. When we look at the tabernacle, we want to see it like this. It has a lot to do with how we grow, how we grow in the Lord. For example, the outer court, that's what it is to be saved, to be in the outer court. You've passed the, the bronze altar, the the place of sacrifice you're there where the labor is the washing of the water of the word the waters of baptism we see both of those pictured there and so we're in a place where we're saved and a lot of people just hang out in the outer court they got fire insurance but there's more involved in our relationship with god you don't want to just stay in the outer court You go from the outer court to the holy place. The holy place is the menorah table of showbread and the golden altar. The golden altar speaks of prayers. So we have communion, prayer, and light. The holy place speaks of service, where we go to provide service for the Lord. Part of our natural growth, right? We're saved, and once we're saved, we want to look for an opportunity to serve. 
How can we serve? Well, we can serve in the bread of His presence, providing the bread, the Word of God, providing communion with Jesus Christ. We can serve in prayer, lifting up intercessory prayer. We can serve being a light, shining that light. Sunday school or youth ministry or you name it. All of those areas, we can find a place for service. But folks, sometimes people think that's the peak. That's not the peak. The peak's not service. Service is where a friend we know of named Martha, she hung out there in the place of service. Not a bad place. Not the best place. The best place was just behind the veil, right? The best place was to move all the way in to the Holy of Holies, to be at His feet, to be there in in His presence, covered by His blood in worship. The outer court speaks of salvation. The holy place speaks of service. The Holy of Holies speaks of worship. And as we look at that, as we see it, as we see the picture of Christ throughout it, we have to ask ourselves, hey, where, where, where am I? Am I in the outer court? Am I in the holy place? What's my goal? So many times we put such an emphasis on service. Well, I don't want to take an emphasis off of it because in order to get into the holy of holies, you have to go through it. But that's not the end all beat all. A lot of times people look at, at believers and they think, what are they doing? What have they done? What work are they accomplishing? But the goal is to go through service into worship, into his presence. Remember like Moses standing there before the light of God, his afterglow causing him to shine, radiate for 40 days. Reflect the glory of God. That's where we want to go. But the way we get there, the way we grow, the way we move toward that is that we have to realize, I can't just sit in the outer court and hope it happens. I go through the outer court. I receive salvation. I'm, I'm washed in the water of God's Word. I've, I've come before God in obedience, in baptism. I've moved through now into a place of service where I'm learning about intercessory prayer. I'm learning about serving at His table or shining forth His light. It's through the place of service that we enter and we come to the Holy of Holies. That most holy place. Let that be our goal. Our goal is to spend time in His presence. There's never going to be an end of things to do, is there? My, we got a, a filler hired to fix the roof. The best news about him being hired to fix the roof is he's going to be on the hook to fix the roof for 10 years. If I know anything about this roof, it does one thing. Leaks. That's what it does. Well, it was designed that way. Somewhere, some guy, when they designed flat roofs, he had a brother that was in the roofing business. And he designed flat roofs so that his brother would have lots of work. That's how it works. There's always going to be... There's always going to be something there. There's always going to be a need in service. Folks, never been involved in one church yet that doesn't need twice as many teachers as what they have in Sunday school. Never been. It's always a need. Does that mean we shouldn't step up? No. If we're going to want to enter into that place in God's presence, we need to realize it comes through service. It comes through giving of ourselves. It's part of the process to get to the Holy of Holies, to get to that place. But it can't be our focus. If we make it our focus, that's all we'll do. And then we're Martha, right? Complaining. Oh, Lord, make Mary get in here and do the dishes. Remember what Jesus said? Martha, you're busy about a lot of things. You're distracted in service. And Mary has chosen the better part. And what she has picked won't be taken from her. 
Well, Martha was okay serving. The problem was she's complaining while she's doing it because she was distracted in serving. What's the goal? Presence of God. Being in His presence. That's what we want. That's where we want to go to. Don't be satisfied with the outer court. Don't be satisfied to be in a holy place. You be satisfied when you're standing before the mercy seat. When you're experiencing that oneness with Christ. That's where we want to, to go to. And where did God start in His description? There. Because that's where He... What do you think is the one thing God misses most of all in creation? What do you think the one thing He misses from the Garden of Eden? I would say it's walking with Adam in the cool of the evening. I mean, what was that like? God was able to walk with him, talk with him. No sin separating man from God. It's so important to God that God has communion with us, that God has union with us, that God's able to be in our presence, that he would send his only begotten son to pave that way. So let that be our desire. Hey, I want to be found in his presence, right where God wants me to be. Now, I'm just going to go a couple of verses in 26. Don't panic. But moreover, you will make the tabernacle with ten curtains, fine woven linen, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. You're going to see that pattern. You see that pattern on the doors? And in the veil, this pattern that they're putting together right now. And as we look at it, there's going to be ten curtains. We're going to see every piece I shared with you has a part of a puzzle in Christ. Let me talk to you about those things real quick. We've spoken already in the, in the materials used. Gold speaks of His divinity. Silver of redemption. Silver was what was utilized to redeem anything. If something was redeemed, it was bought with silver. Bronze speaks of judgment. Blue speaks of heaven. Purple, his royalty. Scarlet, his sacrifice. Fine linen, his pure righteousness. Goat's hair speaks of the sin bearer. Why? Well, there were two goats on Yom Kippur that were brought to the priests. One goat, on him would be confessed all the sins of the nation. His throat would be slit, his blood collected, and brought into the Holy of Holies. What did they do with the other goat? They took him outside the camp, confessed all their sins on him, tied a ribbon around his neck, and let him go. The scapegoat, taking the sins of the people outside of the camp paying for the sins of the people by the blood of the other. The sin bearer is represented in the goat's hair that's going to be used. Red ram skin, ram skin colored red. What does that speak of? Well, it speaks of the suffering of Christ. Christ is that sacrificial propitiation, the substitute sacrifice. Remember when Abraham took his son to the top of Mount Moriah? What was it that God provided for him in a thicket to take the place of his child? A ram. A ram. Speaking of the suffering of Christ, that propitiation or the, the um, sacrifice, substitute sacrifice. Then we're going to talk about badger skin. Badger skin is interesting. Badger skin could be badgers. There are those who would argue that it is some type of a, of a fish. The word is not, it doesn't directly translate to badger. That's the problem. It doesn't directly translate to badger. And some people believe this is the skin that provided the waterproof covering. There are rather established commentators that think it was the manatees in the, the rivers and the streams that were abundant in that area at the time that was used for that skin. Either way, whether badger or manatee, doesn't matter. It all speaks of humility. It's not beautiful. It's not pretty. He had no comeliness or form that we should desire him. 
And when we saw him, we turned our faces from him. It speaks of the humility of Christ. Was you, as you consider this, as you consider all of these things that we talk about, I want you to understand the entire tabernacle, board by board, is going to be made of gold, silver, precious gems and stones, all covered in goat's hair with badger or with ram skin and badger skin over the top. If you were to look at it from the outside, there's nothing there that you would want. But if you went inside, all of a sudden, all the beauty, all the truth is found there. Isn't that the way people come to Christ? From the outside, what's this all about? But from the inside, what beauty. Amen? All right, we'll continue our journey next week. Why don't you stand with me and let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could spend going through, Father, the tabernacle, studying the tabernacle. It's our desire, God, that, that we would uh, just have a clear understanding of this model of heaven, of the throne room of God. Father, help us to understand the importance, Lord Jesus, that we would see God in every piece, in every article, in every thing, in every part of the service done. It points to you. And that people practice this day after day after year after year. And when it became a ritual and it wasn't real anymore, they couldn't even recognize the Lamb of God when it was standing before them. Father, help us not to have eyes like that. Help us not to grow dull of hearing that we don't want to understand or apply But let us take your word and and allow it to become that part of our life that guides us and leads us and shows us your perfect way. Help us to see you in everything, on every page, in every verse. Father, we just want to glorify you in what we do and how we do it, Lord God. We lay it before you at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in worship. We invite you to, to stay and worship with us. Also, we have leftovers. Jello, which is happens to be one of my favorites, and sandwiches, right? So there's sandwiches in, in Jello available outside as you as you go out tonight. Our gift to you, enjoy uh, the the leftovers from Bread of Life Kitchen, and uh, and and we look forward to a time of fellowship together. God bless you. Go in peace.